Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Hey, 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 it's Christoph Wrights of the Poet Life Podcast, and it is on Friday that we are here. And I'm here with Daniel Pico. If you all don't know this gentleman, you will in just a minute. Listen, Daniel, man, I really appreciate you coming on. And we're going to talk about why you're here and, and the accomplishments that you've that you've brought forth, but also the most recent project that is taking the world by storm. How are you, sir? I'm great. And, and again, thank you, uh, Christoph, for, for having me uh it's been uh it's been a blessed week indeed i'm sure it has man starting on sunday december 13th man that was an awesome experience and uh for those who are listening and watching and don't know what we're talking about um mr pico here daniel uh is the, so you considered the director or producer what's what's that is that the title uh, yeah, my uh, my role on Let's Grow was a director, uh, and I, I adapted the poetry into the screenplay. Okay, uh, in that uh, that we shot. Awesome, awesome. Okay, all right. So just to give some backstory, um, I've connected with uh, Sean Smith and David Bianchi who also connected me with the awesome uh uh Lisa Lisa she she she's man Lisa's how is she so down to earth I you know it just getting to know them through the process of making the the film and I mean you know it's you know obviously the the times that we're in we yeah. didn't really get to meet in person until the day we shot um you know, Lisa is uh, just uh, an incredible uh, powerhouse just to, to, you know, just so much energy and light and love that she just puts out um, through just, uh, you know, just every pore of her being. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. We're talking about Miss Lisa Nichols, the, the, the powerhouse motivational speaker you know, uh, participant in the second version of The Secret. And and when I say she's so down to earth, she would not allow me to call her Miss Nichols, <laughs> you know? And um, um, so the movie that we're talking about, it's called Let's Grow. It's a spoken word film. I'm gonna say that again, it's a spoken word film. And that just really takes me over the moon, man, because, again, the pre the preface of this uh, and premise of this whole podcast is to show poets and artists, um, poets in particular, that we can do so much with our art. It is not just for, you know, writing a poem for my, my loved one, just for the open mic, just for the chat book it really can be mainstream. It really can be on the big screen. Right. And, um, for Miss, keep wanting to call her Miss Nichols for, <laughs> for, for, for Lisa 
and Daniel and, and Sean Smith, who are the actors and writers, um, and David Bianchi to take this on uh, shows the value of the art that we love so dearly. Let me ask you, what what made you take this project on? Well, I've always been uh, a, f- a fan of uh, performance poetry since uh, since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I've there's never been a time when since I, I kind of discovered the art form. I, I think it was I mean, I would say probably it was a film actually I saw called Slam uh, years and years ago. It was an independent film starring. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, amazing performance poetry artist. Uh, Saul Williams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the movie uh, also stars um, some other uh, Sojourn Song. I can't remember if I'm pronouncing her name right. Okay. Uh, But they're amazing performance poetry in that, in that film. Um, And he does uh, uh, one of his famous poems in, in, uh, performs it in the the film. And it just uh, want to, you know, just it, suddenly I was like, some it was a whole new art form I'd never heard of at the time when I was a teenager, and it blew my mind. Um, and after that, I got really obsessed with going and uh, performing at pro- slam poetries and you know, prefer, uh, poetry slams and things like that, sure. open mics and things like that when I was in high school. Uh, I learned very quickly that I was no poet. Sure. <laughs> um, I could be an admirer, but not uh, a participant. So, yeah. um, and uh, but I but I loved the the format, and I loved the 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 performance of it, the, the sheer theatricality of it. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think after um, you know after that, you know, it, you know, I didn't really give it a, a lot of thought, but I I'd, I'd made a film in in college that was all an iambic pentameter. Um, uh, a friend of mine had written and it was a, you know, it was a comedy, you know, that uh, we had done. And, uh, and then after that, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought a lot about it until, uh, I started getting involved in, uh, the anti-war movement in the mid two thousands. I was Mm -hmm. really, I was very opposed to the Iraq war. Sure. Um, And, uh, through, uh, some folks I, I knew in Los Angeles, I was living in Chicago they introduced me to David Bianchi, who wow. I met uh, through, uh, you know, who's in, uh, uh, who was the producer of Let's Grow um, and the co-writer and, and one of the stars of it. He uh, he and I were introduced and he had written a piece called uh, Soldier. Yes. That, uh, that he was, uh, you know, the author of and him and Jason Whitman, who was another mm-hmm. performance poet. Uh, we're performing it live in, in Los Angeles, some of the poetry slams here. And uh, they had sent me a recording of just the audio. And I said, Jesus, this thing is, this thing's powerful. Yes. You know, it, it, it had, uh, it, you know, it does the thing that poetry I think does so well, which is it through just, you know, the minimum use of words, uh, it can convey so much emotion. Sure. Uh, and, I I was really just floored by it, and I said I I would love to make this into a movie, mm. and uh, I communicated with David, and uh, th- he was in Los Angeles, I was in Chicago, and through um, some really good fortune, he flew to uh, Chicago, and we shot it in one day, and you know the the 
the piece, you know, I, you know, coming from a theater background, I wound up um, sort of taking a very theatrical approach to the production. Hmm. Um, and uh, we staged it as if it was in a, it, it was literally in a TV studio at my college uh, that I'd gone to. And we staged it as if it was a, a broadcast where you could see the lights and you could see them going nice. on and off. And, um, you know, and we, we came up with a really fascinating, um, you know, piece of art direction with the, the blood from the soldiers that are being killed in the piece, you know, spraying onto this, you know, white canvas behind them. And at the end of the piece, it makes the American flag, oh. you know, in like in, in their blood. And it was, I mean, it was really controversial. And we were like, oh, we're going to get in some trouble for this, but maybe some good <laughs> trouble, you know, like yeah. <laughs> say, you know, some good trouble. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it wound up uh, getting a lot of, uh, you know, awards and things like that at, at film festivals and, you know, people who saw it, it really impacted them. Um, and I think that was, you know, it was mostly due to David's wonderful, David and Jason's both wonderful performance and their words just being so um, moving and, and visceral. And it was mm. a you know, story and it, and it had a, it was an experimental narrative because he's telling the story of a soldier, you know, just a day in the life Um and it really reminded me of, uh, and it was great too. One of our collaborators on the piece was a, our composer, uh, James Azriel. And he said, when he heard the piece, he said, wow, this is great. He said, it reminds me of a motorhead song called uh, 1917 or 1916. Mm. And he, we listened to it and it, you can hear it actually in the score of the film is that he took some of the riffs and some of the melodies from that, song from a from a you know english rock band and worked and weaved it into and you could just hear it in the in the piece it's so inspired um but yeah and so that was that was kind of my my introduction to doing uh what david likes to call spinema right um uh and uh we you know we our first sort of adventure was uh that but david has been doing poetry obviously for for decades you know sure. uh, he's right. a poet and he's done slams and He's performed. And, you know, when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, he and I are good friends, too. So we would go to uh, open mic nights and stuff like mm. that. We would perform and we would, you know, tear it up all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good times. Yeah. Awesome. So it was, uh, that was my that was my approach. <laughs> awesome. Well, let me ask you, man, let's, let's kind of start from the beginning. Uh, yeah. You said you were in school. You went to school for production. Mm -hmm. okay. I um. Well, I've. I've been making movies in some form since I was eight years old. Um, my brother and I, when uh, we were on a Christmas, uh, <laughs> much to, I think my parents now dismay, uh, they, they bought a uh, PXL 2000 Fisher Price camcorder, which was like a toy that was like a film camera, but it recorded on the high bias uh, audio cassette tapes. Wow. And my brother and I were making movies from that day, literally on, I mean, we were, we were done after that. There was nothing oh. to do. Whenever we had a weekend free or something like that, we were filming something. Um, and then, you know, we continued on through, uh, you know, uh, grade school. And then when I got into high school, you know, my brother has always wanted to be a filmmaker as well. Um, mm. He took some different paths in life. You know, he became a scientist in some capacity. Oh, uh, He works uh, at a company that uh, makes... Uh, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals and things like that. So, I mean, he has a, he has a, a, a science kind of, uh, um, 
uh, career now. Uh, but he still loves movies. Still make you know makes movies on his own and things sure. like that. Uh, and I uh, in high school started really getting into uh, camera work because I initially wanted to be a makeup artist mm. um, and doing special effects makeup because I was I was always fascinated by you know the um, you know the magic you know the the idea of um, you know uh, make believe you know that sure. was always, imagination so, yeah yeah so it was, it was always such a a big part of it for me. Uh, and then as I was in high school, I started playing around with cameras and, you know, I had a friend, a close friend who was a good writer, uh, and he started writing little pieces and I started going, well, I, I know something about shooting them. I've been doing it for long enough. So I started filming, uh, those pieces and coming up with ways to direct them. I uh, did theater, um, as an actor, I did, uh, like Shakespeare plays and things like that in high school. And, uh, I had a lot of, um, introduction to the arts in general um and i always just i just loved play i loved being yeah. part of being creative on on that level and just seeing art sort of generated from all different avenues i was always just such a big fan of live performances and things so um yeah so i started making movies there in high school and then i went to film school at columbia college in chicago mm. um and uh, I mean, after that, it was it. It was it. I was hooked. I had a, a teacher there named uh, Ron Pitts, who was my mentor, um, and he was just uh, just an incredible human being, an artist, and so generous with uh, his passion for filmmaking uh, that uh, it was it was infectious. And after that, I was hooked. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. To know your path that early in life is a blessing it's like you know and it's it's interesting i was talking about this to somebody recently and it's strange to know it was strange to know where i wanted to go that early mm -hmm. um because you know my friends were all figuring out what they wanted what they wanted to do right here i was going like well i'm gonna be a filmmaker one day i'm 14 <laughs> and um you know it, you know, I, I'm certain it made me somewhat obnoxious to some people. Right. I, I had such a, a, a determined uh, belief that I was going to do this thing um, at that early an age. Um, and uh, but at the same time, it was it is re it was. Uh, how do I say it? I think there was something about it that was it was a relief to, to say, like, I never had to never had to sit there and be like, where, what do I want to do with my life? I always, yes. knew. yeah, I always yeah. knew. And I, I never had to have that moment of like, I've, I mean, I've had moments of incredible doubt sure. <laughs> in right. the film industry. Sure. <laughs> that comes <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's a, um, but the, but I never had that doubt about like, that this is the one true love that I want to, you know, that I want to do forever. I think a part of it is what you mentioned at, at the beginning, that your parents uh, exposed you to that at an early age. And then you were like, oh, here it is. You know, um, because I have three daughters, five and under, you know, and I'm I'm doing because, look, our kids are are blank canvases you know what i mean and yeah. you literally can say here here's a camera 
and this is how you work it. Let me see what you do with it. You know, and, and so if they take to it, push more and 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 allow them to work at it. And uh, I think that is so intriguing to me, man, because uh, for me, I, I started writing poetry in, in the first grade uh, when, an, when a teacher gave an assignment to create a poetry book from scratch, from binding to writing the poetry, everything. And so from right there, I was sold. But there were no examples. There was no industry for me to say, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so... There was a community, obviously, uh, where where poets did poetry, but there were no transactions, no deals being made. So there was no industry. And so that's what um, at 38, I said, if I can't find it, I'm going to create it. Right. So our slogan is uplift the poetry community, build the poetry industry because community is old it's age is old right uh poetry poetry is in the bible psalms and right but as an industry it's in its infancy right so so i've been searching for a way to do poetry as a career for 30 some odd years you know And to see someone like you and David and Sean taking it here blows my mind absolutely. And I appreciate you all's gall and audacity to, to, well, let me ask you. So did you, did you all, was this a love project or did you see it being able to, do what it's doing now as far as touching the lives of so many people, but also um, potentially being in film festivals and things of that nature. What, what did that look like at first when you all came up with the idea? Well, I think, well, I know that, uh, you know, Lisa, Sean and David, I know cause they, it, 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 you know, the Genesis was with them. Um, and the, cause the original poem, that they were writing that, that, that came there, that started there. I came in later. I know that they wanted it to be seen because I, I think, you know, there was, there was a visceral rage that we're, mm. that so many people were feeling. Um, you know, this year has been just a, a beast um, on mm. so many levels. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I keep thinking, back to the there was a and I, I can't think of a better analogy right now but like the idea of like there are no atheists in foxholes hmm. okay? it's like you know the, the the old saying goes and you know because war brings out um your true nature hmm. you know your your fears your anger i mean it's just like your, your character is revealed uh through intense circumstances and i you know this entire year was like in a year of intense circumstances and i think it's revealed the character of so many um if you're somebody that um does not want to stand to see oppression and injustice go by without being addressed you know i you know injustice has always been something to me 
that I know that, you know, it, it's a, it pierces me at my core. It sure. angers me in ways that I can't, um, that it, it's hard to describe other than just it, it enrages me. Um, and I know for them, they needed to do something, you know, and yeah. so David's produced, I know a number of pieces this year, um, on this topic on black lives matter, you know, injustice, um, civil rights, all the things that were, you know, I mean, just basic human treatment of, sure. of, of other humans, uh, sure. in America that were, that people are, are asking for in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. So, you know, and so many others. Sure. Um, uh, I mean, just the names, it's, it's too sad to even be able to recount how many names. Um, so I know they really wanted to get it out. They wanted to do something that, that spoke to that. And also, you know, through Lisa and Sean, you know, and mm -hmm. particularly Lisa, you know, that, you know, she wants to change people's lives. You know, that's what mm -hmm. she does. You know, she wants to inspire. Mm -hmm. So I, I know for her, it was, you know, about getting these cultural conversations going. Mm -hmm. And that being such a big part of it for her was, was trying to find a way to inspire the conversations that she felt like we needed to make, have. And I agree 100% that we need to start having. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it was, it was a combination of those things. It's like, how do we get people to start having that conversation? And it's about just being honest upfront about what we're thinking and feeling and starting there. And then you can start having the conversation. If you're coming, you know, if you can get your, your base correct, sure. You know, between people when you're about to have this conversation, um, you know, and she's like, you need to understand where I'm coming from. This is what yeah. I'm thinking when I'm feeling. Um, and that was, I think, I think that was, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to ask you, and it, I don't know how hard this question will be, but how are you able to see it and others aren't? It as in uh, injustice. You know, there are a lot of white people that that are oblivious of what's going on, even though it's on TV in their face. Um, but a lot of times they may see, oh, but he deserved it. You know, like how, how, how what, what kind of lens do you have that allows you to see it and not others, do you think? I don't. I don't know if I have a, you know, if there's anything in particular that I could point to is maybe I don't have the capacity to, to vocalize mm. it, but I, I can tell you what my experience was watching the George Floyd. Mm. I saw a psychopath mm. murdering another human being. Cause you know, if you look at that, that officer that's got his, that's doing what he's doing, he's got the knee on the neck. Yeah. You, I saw a blank eyes everything yeah icy cold mm. chilling to watch yeah um and i i saw that and i said this this is you're watching a but you know what what you would think of as a serial killer yeah somebody who's probably fantasized about that moment for a long time and here was his moment and because he got to where he was wearing a badge and a uniform yeah everyone stood around and watched and yeah. did nobody, nobody went up to him. That was the thing that enraged me when I saw it. The more than, more than just the act itself, I said, nobody went up to him and pushed him off him and said, what the hell are you doing? Right. 
they all just stood there and accepted what he was doing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that just filled me with such contempt for those people that stood around and watched. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, I, you know, so I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just a a sense of empathy that I have for other human beings that I, I see in, in peril. I mean, I saw a man just crying for someone to save his life and no one came to his aid. So that yeah. it makes, it fills me with emotion just talking about it. Yeah. Um, cause I can, it, it, maybe it's just cause I can imagine myself in that position sure. so easily. And just so it makes me so afraid and so um, just desperately sad to think yeah. that those were his last moments. So, I mean, it's, um, so maybe it's just a sense of empathy, you know, I mean, part of what I do as a filmmaker is, is I try to understand people. I just, through empathy, right. I try to see the stories through all the characters' eyes and try to understand what motivates them. You know, I think about that as I'm, you know, breaking down a script or, you know, whatever it is I'm doing on stage, if I'm telling an actor, you know, there's, you know, even, you know, characters that I think are, you know, horrible people with horrible motivations i have to see somehow their their point of view sure understand what they're thinking and what they're feeling in order to be able to convey to them how to play a scene um so it's just i guess it's just a sense of empathy and i just don't i don't you know i get enraged because i don't understand why other people can't see it yeah yeah and was it was was it hard for you to um take on this film i was talking to sean and uh it was hard for him to say the things that he had to say, right? Um, uh, just because, you know, he's an empath too, you know, uh, he can feel it. And, um, but also he, he also admitted that he hesitated for a minute. And this was the conversation that he had with Lisa. You know, if I do this film, uh, I possibly could get blackballed and, you know, just just shunned because of the the the, the topic and the and the content. Was that hard for you, just being in the circles that you're in? You know what I mean. Um, well, you know, you know, having been here already in in one capacity, making a movie um, about the Iraq War while it was happening. Mm-hmm. I I mean I was no stranger to, to saying controversial things out in public. I mean there is footage of me somewhere on Iranian television talking about the Iraq War. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, not realizing, you know, I was at twenty five. I didn't realize what I was doing in the interview. Uh, but I I was so enraged. At any opportunity for me to have a moment where I could sit there and talk about something that pisses me off this much. Yeah. Um, you know, was an opportunity I was willing to take. So there's, you know, there's a CIA file on me somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of like any like trepidation I had to get involved in the, in the film, none, because I don't, I mean, I, you know, I'm not worried about what, you know, I mean, yeah, there, there was a moment where I sat there and I said, could you know? Could could I wind up with some some hate mail, some some death threats? Somebody gets my my emails out there, you know. Right, right. I have a website, you know. I mean, somebody could you know look me up. Yeah, there, there are crazy sobs out there yeah. uh, that uh, I you know that I'm you know I was concerned about. Sure. Um, but I can't let I can't let the the theoretical crazy person stop me from saying things that I think that need to be said. Sure. And I. You know, am I worried that 
supporting things like, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, any of those movements, I feel very confident that my my point of view is one of, you know, justice and honesty and love. And that's where my point of view comes from. And if that's something that threatens you, then it's your problem, not mine. There you go. That's that's it. It's, yeah. That's your insecurity. Not yeah, yeah. That's 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 awesome, man. Uh, let's let's get to the poetry, man. I want I wanted to ask you. Okay, the poetry side. Was it a hesitation? Is this your first time like doing a poetry project? No, a uh, soldier was all. Oh, in, you said oh, soldier, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, so. All right, let's talk about Soldier. When yeah. that was presented to you, were you like, eh, poetry? Uh, was that a, no? It's a story. It's just a medium. You know, uh, Shakespeare's iambic pentameter, I'd done that. Um, you know, I would love to do a film uh, of Shakespeare, like a Shakespeare adaptation. I would love that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a story. You know, the language that it's told in um, or the style in which the language is presented and the ideas are presented. It's it's just another challenge. It's like doing a music video, you know. It's a, it's an just an interpretation of sure. the words and the story that's there because it is an experimental narrative. There's right. still a story that they were we were telling. So it wasn't so far removed. the 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 challenge for me was to figure out because what I was handed when we started was just the the poem, and right? The, you know, it's like Lisa's going to say this. And then Sean and David are going to say this to each other. Right. And that was, and then Lisa at the end is going to come in and say this. And that was, that was it. <laughs> so that was, that was what I was presented with. So I said, okay, how do I interpret that visually? You know, what, what scenario can I, you know, manifest to, to sort of, in, to, to house the beautiful words that they had already had written, you know, and, you know, and I read them, you know, it's like reading lyrics on a, you know, um, uh, you know, for a song, you know, you just sure. go, all right, this, they're talking about this and you can do it two different ways. You know, you could interpret it, you know, literally and be like, they're talking about, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. Do I show a protest mm. or do you make it more abstract? And I, I have, um, uh, an impressionistic sort of style uh, as a filmmaker, um, sure. and, you know, with the touch of the theatrical. Um, yeah, that's why, you know, when the opening of the piece is, is very much her on a stage, you know, and the lights come up and a hand turns on the, the lights and everything, you know, because we're, we're, pre we're presenting something. And then we literally show the empty audience mm. um, that would be there. You know, there was, you know, a lot of, <laughs> those the chair shots are a, huge, a lot of discussion <laughs> about sure. um you know because at one point we said you know well when we came up to do those chair shots you know it was like well are we putting people in those chairs mm. you know uh but then what do they look like what does that audience look like what are we trying to say there and, we, and then we said well you know the times we live in right now are not i mean sometimes it comes down to just logistics we're like right. well, we can't really put that many people in a room yeah it's COVID, you know, you can't, yep. you can't do that. So then, you know, I think it was David who said, he's just like, you know, if, if the chairs are empty, then it's the imaginary audience. Gotcha. And you as an audience member will project yourself there because you're the one that they're speaking to. Um, right. So, yeah, so there's the, 
you know, so there's, you know, sometimes the, you know, just logistically, it just becomes that. Um, but with like David and Sean, which I think had a lot of thought and planning went into that, you know, there's the images that are behind them. And then I said, instead of like physically showing and cutting to those things, I did a psychological landscape behind both of them mm. where that is their, that is where they're coming from. So the images, which are all stock images, which mm -hmm. were great to use online, you know, all are impressions of the, their background, where they come from. And it's a mixture of, you know, uh, for, for, for David, there's images of a black father playing with a son. Mm -hmm. There's images of, um, you know, uh, Frederick Michaud's work as a filmmaker who, who did a lot of, was one of the first, was the first African-American filmmaker um, who made silent films. And uh, there's some images from some of his films. There's images from, for both of them, I used uh, Birth of a Nation. There are wow. images from, uh, you know, other documentaries, you know, Martin Luther King, the, the March on Washington. There's all kinds of things mixed up in there that uh, come from their backgrounds. And some of them cross over. Sometimes mm. they have the same images. Like I used, I think for both of them, um, the attack on the, the people sitting at the counters in the mm -hmm. South um, for the sit-ins. I used some of that for both of them because that's both participants in their histories taking part in that event. So it was a very, you know, and I had to pre-select and pre-edit all of those images before we even stepped on set. Wow. And so David and I went through and, and I would select a bunch of things and send it to him and he'd look at it and be like, more of this, less of that. And I was like, great. And yeah, how it, you know, became this thing because I didn't, you know, also we just, we knew we were going to be really short on time and trying to sync something up. I see. Really tough. So, um, and then when we were on set, you know, we had, I had a very, you know, I love coming up with things in the moment while we're rolling and, mm. There's, I think, one of the most powerful moments in the piece is when David sits when the book is open. Yes. And Sean starts reading from the book and he's just reading statistics, you know, and, and those statistics, it took us a long time to come to that moment to decide what that thing was he was going to read. And, you know, my point of view was always it had to be something that, again, invoked an empathetic response. Wow. It was something that was going to be, it's so shocking that as a human being, he can't not hear the brutality in it and not be changed by it. Wow. And he reads those words and it's shocking to him. And when David's listening to him, I was standing next to the assistant camera person who was working the focus. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I, I just whispered to him, I'm like, focus on the wall behind him. And David goes out of focus and then you see, behind him and we just happened to catch at that moment part of the frederick michelle movie where there's a lynching going on there's images of um from uh uncle tom's cabin the silent film yeah uh, where there's a whipping about to take place i mean there was there was suddenly we, we we caught just just you know the you know you know as they say in the film industry and and it sounds weird to say it like this but it's you know lightning in a bottle i just i sure. knew we had a moment that was going to be really powerful right there. Cause there's David soft and focused in the foreground and the history suddenly yeah. being present in the foreground, you know, in focus while Sean's reading this. And I just said, I'm like, Oh, we've got something here. That's going to be incredibly moving. Um, and you just, you know, it's, it was just, it wasn't planned. It just happened in, in that second. Um, so it was a, 
you know, so that's sort of my approach is to set a stage for things like that and then just mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, David and Sean and Lisa, um, uh, all three of them. I mean, David's a seasoned actor. I mean, he's done lots and lots and lots of acting. Sure. Uh, so he was, you know, he showed up. He just came. He was ready to play. He was producer on when he wasn't on camera. <laughs> on camera, he was he was the actor. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but for Sean and Lisa, I mean, there was a moment I was, you know, when we were rehearsing it, I was like, they're doing great, but you never know what's going to happen on set. You know, mm. they're not. They're just not experienced actors but they're performers sure and i was like is is sean going to be motivational speaking when he's uh, trying to be this character that's not him got it and i, I just didn't know if he was gonna be able to do it and then when he started the scenes i was like he's a i'm like he's great i'm like oh, i'm gonna be okay We're all so he's be- not an actor no, I mean, not to my knowledge. He doesn't have wow. Um, I thought he was background. I I know he said he always secretly wanted to be an actor. Sure, no, but I thought he was. He did yeah. great. He's fantastic. He, I mean, the scene where he gets teared up, you know, and I and he did it in such a beautiful, subtle way when he has the those final words where he's like, "And this might hurt." That that breaks my heart because you can you could see. You know, he he got like he and I had a very long conversation before we started. Just him and I, because we were the two, we're the, we're the two white men on the the show. And I just said, you know, let's let's have an honest conversation about what we're about to say. Um, and you know, we talked about our impressions, everything from uh, our impressions to African American culture growing up. You know how we you know felt about the civil rights movement. You know what our white privilege has done in our lives and like how we've seen it play out. We, I mean, it was a very honest, direct conversation and it was, it was so inspiring. I think for both of us to be able to be like, let's, let's really put it out there. Let's not be afraid to say things that are going to be controversial and let's be real honest uh, about what we're, what we're about to do. And some of the, you know, we talked about some of the anger mm-hmm. that might be thrown our way. Um, and, you know, because we, you know, he and I both agreed and we, you know, we're both, you know, men of a certain, you know, persuasion, you know, we, we, you know, we are supporters of the movement sure. and supporters of justice and things like that. So, we, you know, it angered us both. So we said then, you know, again, in order for this conversation to happen and for us to be part yeah. of it, we have to be as honest as our counterparts yeah. in the conversation too. And that it means, you know, acknowledging our privilege and things like that. Um, you know, and, you know, having that conversation, you know, and just, and also we just, we had that, we had some just amazing moments just talking about how we've acknowledged how white people sometimes talk to each other in private about this issue and how condescending it can be sometimes. And we were just, we, we shared a lot of that with each other and it was such an eye opener. Um, and it was refreshing that I knew that I had a, another partner and on the show that, that saw the world um, that we, we want to be, you know, we want to make same way. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was great to see him show up and just bring it, you know, he got the character. It wasn't Sean on stage, you know, there it was, it was a character he was playing. Um, And of course, Lisa was so moving and powerful in her, uh, in her performance that I, you know, and it was, it was interesting too, you know, and I never, I don't know how 
I don't know how it sort of played out this way. Um, she, you know, she and, and David had a real connection and a real bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we were on set, there was a lot of uh, a lot of discussion between the two of them while we were filming. And I, I remember sort of sometimes just saying, you know, I need to step back because I feel like there's, you know, there's a there's territory she's emotionally going into. Yes. But I think she needs she needs David to 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 walk with her hand in hand a little bit. Yeah. And I need to step back. Sure. And I need to just observe. Sure. Um, in the same way, I think um, there was, you know, there was a, you know, part of the, you know, the process of everybody just, you know, figuring out um, how, how to respond and how to react to the George Floyd murder Breonna Taylor and everything that we were witnessing this year, I feel like, you know, there was a, there was this push to, it's like, Hey, you know, white America, if you, if you want to be involved in this conversation right now, it's time for you to shut up and listen. Yeah. And I felt like at times that was my job was to be quiet Mm. and to listen and observe and, and let Lisa feel comfortable expressing as if almost uh, directly to David, you know, what she was thinking um, um, and, and having that connection with another person of color on set. Sure. So there was, there was, it was a, it was all about at that point, giving her the space and the tools she needed to really bring to this, to the screen, what she needed to do. And yeah. as a director, my job is to just create that environment and however it needs to play out is however it needs to play out. Sure. The reason I asked um, about your whether you, whether or not you had a hesitation to to choose a spoken word film um, it, that is really geared to poets, uh, I want poets to see that people of your stature, uh, director, movies, and things are open to these projects and get empowered to create more than just a poem, right? And think bigger, create some scripts, create, you know, a a larger project and say, this is possible. Cause I, and that's why I asked you the way I asked you, did you ever hesitate? And you were like, it's a story, mm-hmm. y- you know? And, and, and so whether it's a full out script for a movie um, or, or if it's a story form spoken word piece, it's a story and folks like you are open to working with yes. poets that are professional though and ready to take it there. Right. And so um, I'm glad, I'm glad that was your response. Cause that was a question for me. I was like, they, they're open to this. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to expand the boundaries of what film can do. Cause that's, that's my medium, you know, for the poet, it's the word or it's the page you know, it's, um, it's this, the spoken, you know, whatever your medium for delivering the art is, uh, for me, it's images, 
you know, and uh, I just look for a new way. I always am looking for new ways to express uh, emotion, express a story, um, to connect with an audience. And I I examine all kinds of art um, to try and figure out new ways to do it. Um, And I mean, you know, a lot of it's been done. (laughs) But at the same time, um, I haven't done everything, you know, film school. So I'm, you know, I'm trying not to, you know, repeat myself, but, you know, if I had the, op- you know, you know, as an artist, if I had the uh, opportunity to direct another spoken word film, I would do it in a heartbeat if the poetry was great. You know, if there was, oh. if there was an image, you know, and a strong idea behind it, I would, I would, wouldn't hesitate um, to try and present that idea uh, to an audience in a visual way. I mean, it's just, you know, so if you're an, if you're a poet, Thank you. You're out there asking yourself, what can I do? Like, wh- how can I express my poems in another way? Um, you know, I would say experiment. I mean, the technology now, I mean, even back when we did in 2005 or six, when we did soldier, you know, mm-hmm. the technology even then wasn't as accessible as it is now. Everyone's got a phone and a camera. Right. right. We didn't have that in 2005, which is weird to say that there was a time. Right before <laughs> the way we yeah. are now you know you have a you have a, a a platform um youtube is out there it's free um to use um you have a camera everyone's got a camera on their phone um editing software is free practically you know if you have a mac computer it comes with iMovie mm. uh, <clears throat> you can do a lot of the same things that i do uh in in your own home or in a park or whatever you know whatever way you want to express those ideas, you know, those are, you know, and I'm always on the, I'm always on the side of the dreamer sure. you know, and the, yeah. and the artist who, who, who wants to try and create something because you never know, you know, I mean, um, you know, we've, you know, Francis Ford Coppola who, who made the Godfather and all those movies, he always talked about, he's like one day we're, you know, this will truly become an art form when we get rid of the professionalism mm-hmm. idea of it being a profession or, or like that it has to be a professional environment he's like there's going to be a little little girl in you know cleveland who has a little camcorder and she's going to make you know be like mozart she's going to just create the next you know the next you know masterpiece yeah you're like oh my god finally you know it's a true art you know and that's never been more of an opportunity now than ever before because everyone's got access to the tools now yeah you don't have to be you know you know uh you know it's like when you know artists like um uh, Melvin Van Peebles was mm-hmm. like sweet, sweet backs, badass song. You know, you couldn't make a movie unless you had the unions involved, you know? So if you want to make a little independent film, like he was trying to make with that movie that said something really, you know, deep and near to his heart that no studio wanted to touch. Right. Um, you know, he had to pretend he was making a porno movie in wow. order to, to get the studios and uh, the unions and everybody just to leave him alone. So that he could just go make his little movie. Uh, otherwise he never would have been able to make it. Um, you know, because there was this, you know, idea that you, it had to be a professional film and there were safeguards, there were barriers, there were gatekeepers to everything. Right. Getting the equipment you had, there were gatekeepers and now those gatekeepers are gone. You know, that the the world is open for visual mediums to be able to perform. So if you're an artist with something to say, the only thing stopping you from going out and saying it now is fear. Man, you said something right there because that's the truth. Fear and 
ignorance, not just not knowing that it's possible. Um, And that's again, that's what we're doing, showing you that it's possible, showing you that week to week, showing you that it's possible. Um, Process wise, would you suggest that the artist, the poet try to create something themselves and then show show like show you that look all right look look what i was able to do can you now take it to the next level is it that or or i have a poem or i have a script which one do you think is the better option for you that you would choose uh well for me um you know show me a script mm. you know show show me a piece of writing you know Show me, show me something that moves me emotionally, mm. you know, like, um, you know, I, when I think of other directors and their process uh, for choosing a piece, like Clint Eastwood just read something and he says, do I love it or not? And if I mm. love it, then that's my next movie. Mm. Um, you know, I go through a, a little bit longer, you know, you know, I look at it and, you know, and then I start trying to figure out from different angles, like, is this something that I can, you know, express myself in a new way? you know, emotionally like, or is this territory I've already covered? Um, you know, I, I made a short film, uh, for a web series years and years ago. Um, that was, uh, a, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways, it was, a, it was a poetry based piece, mm-hmm. uh, called uh, horror haiku. Mm-hmm. And it was, mm-hmm. they would take a haiku from an, a fan member, you know, an audience member, uh, that was a, you know, usually horror theme. You know, it was a mm-hmm. horror movie. And then they would translate that in some capacity to uh, a short film that was inspired by that that piece of poetry from a haiku. Yeah, horror haiku. Yeah, and I had written, you know, I'm, you know, they needed a haiku for my piece, so I wrote a really bad haiku mm-hmm. about a, a phoenix rising from the ash, and I used the image of a phoenix and a vampire, like a newborn vampire, and instead of ash, she's in a bathtub full of blood, like newly slaughtered and then rises out of this bloody bathtub uh in slow motion and like opens her eyes for the first time the world is anew and she's covered in blood and then she you know expresses her fangs and it's you know a a phoenix rising from the ash it was just my interpretation of like that and i just wanted to do it i'm a big fan of anime so it has a very anime kind of quality to it um and someone saw that and they said hey i got a music video i really want to do um, you know, that's basically, you know, an interpretation of that short that you did. And I was like, well, I don't want to repeat myself, but at the same time, I like an opportunity when someone else is willing to pay to direct right. or pay for me so I can direct. So right. I stepped it up a level, you know, and I made a bigger story out of it. And the the song was beautiful too. And I said, this is just a great song. Um, you know, uh, it's such a sexy romantic, you know, uh, song, uh, and I just said, you know, I really want to do this as a seduction. So I took the idea then of vampires and, you know, added that to, um, like a seduction on a dance floor and then, you know, intercut it with, um, you know, in a field with, you know, the vampires eating the, their, their victim at the same time. And mm-hmm. it was, a, it was a, it, a lot of fun to create images like that, you know, and, uh, um, but yeah, uh, does that answer your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> it all stems from a haiku. Yeah. 
yeah, those were those were I did five episodes of that that series, um, and uh, they were fun. They were really fun shows to make, you know, because I love horror and and uh, you know, so you know, each episode we, I did in a different style. Like I did one like a 1950s B movie um, with even with the score and everything, and you know the actors in period costumes and stuff, and then I had. Uh, you know, we did one that was like a Japanese horror movie, sort of, uh, uh, you know, The Ring and uh, Suicide Circle and films like that, you know. And then, you know, we had, did one that was very John Carpenter-esque, you know, because they had a character that they already wanted to incorporate that was like uh, sort of like a Michael Myers character. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of fun with just creating different versions of that. I'm still stuck on that all of what you just said was stem from 17 syllables. Yeah. Yeah. That is because it's blowing my mind. It's it's going to it's going to take poets brains and open it up. And their creativity is just going to go to the next level just from that conversation right there. Great. The fact that you can take a haiku and then create a whole series and a music video. And man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And 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 that's what this is about, man. This that's what this is about. Um, because we don't see it. We don't you can't be and do what you don't see most times. You know, you, you got the visionaries that can't, right? Um, in your position as director, um you have to have an eye and a vision most times, right? It helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, one of the, I think there was a great line that I always, I always go back to from Roger Corman, one of the famous producer directors, um, who you know gave so many their their start in the business, mm-hmm. uh, Coppola and Ron Howard and Scorsese and all of them, um, gave them all uh, a start in the business. Um, you know, he said, you know, always have a point of view, even if it's wrong. Mm. but at least have a point of view. Um, and I, you know, I always try to remember that to always have a point of view when I'm making a film, even if it's wrong, but just have a point of view. Cause if you don't, if you don't have a, a point of view on the story of your own, then what are you doing? You're just shooting scenes. Um, right. Yeah. You know, so I, I always try to, um, I always try to, you know, I mean, I do extensive breakdowns when I'm doing a, a piece, you know, so much of my work is done in pre-production. I don't, I don't um, just jump in to something like, you know, I, I, I mean, I have sure. uh, just shown up and like been like given a script and say, this is your movie. Um, but <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I said, oh, okay, this is the movie I'm directing today. Yeah. Um, but I, for the most part, you know, I do extensive work in pre-production and I break things down and I try to, you know, I come in very prepared. I come in with a shot list and if I can get storyboards, you know, I did um, another web series uh, a few years ago that uh, we released last year um, that uh, had a lot of special effects and things like that. And, you know, and we had very little time. We only had two days on a big stage and it was very expensive. Mm. There were lots of moving parts. There were fight scenes and all kinds of stuff uh, Mm. that I I had to be able to do in one day. And if I hadn't done extensive breakdowns and storyboards with the the cinematographer, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to achieve all of that in one day. You know, I could only push and yell so much on set before it's just I'm a guy yelling at myself. 
right. for, for not being ready. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, so who are the key pr- players? The director, the cinematographer, the producer. Well, everybody has a role to play. Okay. You know, everyone on everyone on a set has a specific role, um, and it's so. Um, it, it's so vi- everyone has a vital role from production assistant down at the bottom all the way up to the director and producer at the top. Everyone has a role to play. Um, I mean, the Holy Trinity, which someone once called it to me that, which is director, cinematographer, art department, you know, production designer. Oh, um, that's sort of the Holy Trinity, um, you know, and, you know, under production designer comes, you know, art department, props and costumes and all those pieces that, you know, people physically interact with and you see physically on the stage and the cinematographer being, you know, the, the, you know, essentially the, um, the person most responsible for the light, I know, see. how it looks, the, um, the tone and the, you know, uh, of the piece itself. Um, and then the director is sort of the, the it's like the conductor of the orchestra. You're, you're the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, most, I think it was Martin Scorsese said, you know, directing is basically, um, you know, telling people yes or no on set. I see. Yeah. <laughs> you spend all this time preparing, then you show up and you just say yes or no. Right. <laughs> Within that Holy Trinity, are there bumping of heads of ideas and visions? There should be. There should always be. I mean, oh. if you, you know, I think I, I quote a lot of other people uh, in the business, but, you know, there was a famous producer named Robert Evans, you know, you know, talked about making a movie, um, Rosemary's Baby, you know, which is a classic film, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, Roman Polanski and him, who was the director and him butted heads the entire time. But he said, but that's good. Conflict's good, you know, because if everyone's just really being polite to each other, it's going to be underwhelming. You know, so conflict, you know, polite, professional conflict. Sure. You know, I've been on films where there's um, lots of caustic, um, you know, ideas clashing in ways that are not productive. And that's a very uncomfortable experience. Sure. To be stuck in the middle of that. I was also, uh, I'm an assistant director on movies and I see it a lot where producers have certain ideas and directors have certain ideas and, um, when they start trudging on each other's path and, yeah. you know, on each other's feet, you know, you start getting, uh, you start getting a lot of conflict and sparks start flying. And it's usually never at, at a, an opportune moment. It's usually when there's like 50 people standing around waiting right. what to do when that fight happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been very fortunate not to uh, have been, I've only been in that position, I think maybe once um, where a producer thought that they should be directing the movie um and uh uh it was a it was an uncomfortable sure it was an uncomfortable experience and one i would not wish to repeat so i i'm very careful about who i collaborate with but right camera people you know there's a difference between like um you know healthy you know butting of heads like i have a i have a camera person that uh, i've worked with for for decades i've known him since college um, and we don't always get along on set, you know, but I know that his, his, uh, his disagreements with me are always from a place of story. He's trying to present the story in the same way that I am. 
we're just maybe coming at it from two different points of view. And then sometimes we realize we're just arguing about the same thing because we just use different language. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's a, that's a healthy conflict, you know, because he's sitting there going like, but if you show it this way and this way, you're presenting the story in a better way, revealing the story. That's how the language mm. is. Everything is a reveal in, in what I do as a director. It's up revealing the story to you. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's the, uh, you know, but you know, you, there are people that, you know, conflict and, you know, and thankfully, uh, like I said, I, but I think that it's, it's healthy to have disagreements about the story and the, the art of it, Sure. you know? So, so then does it become a compromise between both parties or does the director get the final say? Well, you know, it depends on the show. Um, if there's a lot of money involved, mm. um, sometimes it's not up to the director. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's up to the producers to make that final call. I worked on a movie like that once. I wasn't the director, but I saw it and I said, this seems like I felt bad for the director most of the time. Oh. I watched him have to consistently just sort of hand over creative oh. things to uh, a committee of producers. Mm. Um, who had a certain brand that they were trying to um, match. And that movie didn't get the- released in theaters. Mm. And it was ultimately underwhelming. Um, not because of what the director was doing on set, but right. because he never really got to make a mo- the movie himself. He was... Yeah. And so does the, does, does the director... Does that come down on the director... Uh, it's 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 uh, at that point it's it's politics, right? Politics and making movies. Um, for you know, for the films that I do, I've done a lot of small independent films, so you know, it always kind of started and ended with me. I mean, yeah. when I work with David; it's a different story. David is a strong artist and a strong producer, and we have different ideas sometimes. Um, and uh, I will push back, and mm-hmm. he'll push back, and we. I don't think we'll ever, I will never say that we come to a compromise, but we will show each other what we're talking about. And we, you know, we have both enough honesty, Mm. you know, and uh, the ability to put aside ego to determine whether or not something was right or wrong for the film, not for us. Got it. You know, like let's grow. There were, there were lots of moments like that, particularly in post-production when we were editing the film uh, there were a lot of times where, you know, I, I was pushing back on things and he was pushing me in a, in, in a direction to go further and things. And I had to put aside my ego and mm. I had to listen to what he was saying. And I had to say, okay, no, like try it, just try it. Right. And, and if, if, it, if it's better for the movie, it will be clear. And it was and yeah. I was thankful that I listened and I was thankful for him to, to push in that direction. Yeah. I've always wanted to, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to hold you much longer. I want, I always wanted to ask a director or someone just in the back side of the movie. Um, is it hard to put all of that work in and the movie not do well? Oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that experience. Um, yeah, that's it. That is hard. Um you know, you put sometimes years of your life into a movie. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, you're working 17, 18 hours a day, you know, and then, you know, you're, you're putting out your baby, um, and, mm. uh, you know, and then it's rejected mm. or, or it's just never given a shot. Um, I had that happen with my, my first feature, uh, that I did by myself with, uh, called farewell darkness that I produced with David. Um, and, uh, you know, we, it was a little $36,000 independent film that we did in Chicago and Arizona. And I, it had a lot of moving parts and it was a solid year of, of my life. Mm. All 2007, um, was, was dedicated to making that movie and releasing it. Uh, one year because I said I'm not going to do a two year we're going to make it and then two years from now release it when it's not relevant we're going to do it and premiere it this year and we did in about eight or nine months we did the whole thing Mm. um, from shooting it to post-production to exhibit and um, it it never really gained any traction. Um, I mean, we got opportunities to show it. You know, we we got a theatrical release in Chicago. Wow! Um, after the premiere was so successful, because we had a very successful premiere, it was standing room only at the Gene Siskel Film Center there, and then uh, the it was so successful there. The the center said, "Can we run it for a week?" Um, I said, "Sure, absolutely." Uh, I mean, opportunity to, to say my movie played in theaters for a week in Chicago was great for me. Um, and then no one saw it, you know, after that, you know, went to direct a video, mm. and, you know, we wound up with problems with distributors and, you know, I had to learn the hard way how that game worked. Wow. Um, yeah. And that was its own, that was its own heartbreak, um, to see it basically just vanish and wind up as sometimes not even, you know, sometimes just as a bin filler at a, at a Walmart, um, you know, that would have even been a step up from what happened to it. Um, so it was, uh, so that was a real hard lesson. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, but I didn't let it break me, you know, um, you know, I, I moved forward and continued making movies. Um, and you know, hopefully I'm gonna continue to make more, you know, features in the future. And yeah, uh, more, more films. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's to my detriment, maybe not, maybe it's, maybe it'll be one day revealed as a, as a, an asset is that, you know, I have to be moved emotionally by something in order to become involved in it. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm swayed so easily by emotion, uh, that's, that's a problem. Um, you know, but I, I won't, I won't do something that I don't believe a hundred percent in. Sure. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, when, when it came to something like let's grow, you know, like I said, I, I didn't hesitate because it was such a moving content. Yeah. So great. And I'm still, I am so grateful to David, Lisa and Sean for inviting me to become part of the journey. Um, and I, I really found um, the, I find the, um, response that we're getting from the film uh, so overwhelming uh, because it, it seems to really be doing what we hoped, which is it's inspiring people to take a step beyond just watching a movie and being, you know, I mean, because movies could be so 
you know, they could be uh, moving in some way and then they're disposable. Right. See a film, you know, and, you know, you, you watch a movie, it's got, you know, it's powerful, it's emotional, it's amazing. Like, uh, just a random example, a movie right. called, you know, which uh, is a stage play and it's a beautiful movie. Right. You know, is it asking the audience afterwards to, to get involved in, you know, in uh, uh, preventing child abuse? You know, is it is it doing anything beyond being an amazing picture that but it ultimately does nothing to change the lives of those that watch it? Wow. And that's what I, I aim to do. I want I want people to walk out of a movie I've done and and say, how can I change the world after this? Yeah. You know, I want it to be that big of an experience. And, and you know, you it doesn't happen often. Sure. Sure. You know, and to have to see some glimmers of it starting with uh with let's grow is uh it's a dream come true for me because it's it's everything i've always hoped that cinema can do it can sure. change lives you know that's yeah. what I do. yeah you know that reminds me of chadwick bozeman's career yeah. it's just to look at his portfolio speaks to his intentionality about the the roles that he chose not just checks that he chose to receive like that's amazing that's amazing so i i definitely applaud you on that for sure man um i think that's going to take you take you places and allow you to leave a strong legacy um um and i love how let's grow um I'm going to keep saying let's grow. Everybody go to letsgrowmovie.com. Um, they can still purchase it and watch it. Um, How's that? You know, it's interesting. I got a text message from David while we were having this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just, let me just check and see if maybe, maybe it is. I think somebody said that in the group, they were able to purchase it and it's only $4 and 95 cents. Everybody. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I okay. don't. If it's if it's purchasable, I know that there there are watch parties that are people are, are organizing through Lisa and Sean sure. uh, through the uh, cultural conversations or courageous cultural conversations. Right. Um, I know that there those are that's a way to to view it. Um, I know that we're going to make it available. Um, I think soon to the general public, but not not quite yet. Okay. Um, we're kind of picking our time. Uh, I know that uh, we're still, uh, I think, doing the rollout and a lot sure. of planning, yeah, in groups because I know that there's, you know, there's a real, you know, uh, Lisa and Sean, and Lisa in particular, really wants to to make sure that when when we view it, sure, we're having a conversation afterwards. And she's trying to help facilitate that, which I which I understand completely as part of the rollout for the picture, which okay. I, and I think it's so important. Yeah. It, it brings out, I mean, you've seen the film, you, you mm -hmm. know, it brings out a lot of emotion. Indeed um, it does. So uh, I think it's great to direct that energy right from seeing the movie into having conversations with each other. For sure. Cause that's what it's about, man. That's, yeah. that's what it's about. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Daniel, I really appreciate 
the time that you've carved out for me, man, and and not just for me, but for our audience, our audience, and um, uh, you, you've shared so much information, so many actionable steps, um, and opened the eyes of so many for me, for sure, because I never knew that I could sit down and write uh, a conversational poem. Um, like Let's Grow or of different topics and present it or pitch it to directors and they possibly may say yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, uh, please, you know, if you've got, if you've got something to say, you know, approach collaborators. Yeah. Find collaborators, you know, there are, there are allies everywhere in, in, in the art world. Uh, that might want to get involved or, or or people that might never have made a movie before, but love visual art and mm. approach them and, and say, this is something you want to do. And you might wind up with, you know, that's, you know, like we said, lightning in a bottle. You never know um, what you're going to find yeah. when, you know, with the tools being so accessible now. Sure. So please, you know, yeah. please that's awesome. It is the Poet Life Podcast, everybody go to thepoetlife.com. We've partnered with Let's Grow, uh, the movie, and we were able to gather poets around the world and submit poems that spoke to the trailers and the backstory of the movie. And um, I think roughly about 40, 45 poets from around the world submitted poems. Go to the Website let's grow movie.com um, slash the poet life. You'll see all of those artists uh, in their their art. Um, it is amazing to see the collaboration with the big screen and 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 production, but also poets who never thought they could be connected to something like this. Um, be connected to something like this. So uh, we just want to open your eyes, open your minds, open your hearts. Um, and again, thank you so much, Daniel Pico. We truly appreciate you. And we look forward to seeing what you have next. What's your website again? Uh, my website uh, is, uh, let me. <laughs> is, it, is it, wait, hold on. Is it your. I'll send it to you so that you could you could post I'll it. I'll pull it out there. Yeah, I'll put it on the Long screen. <laughs> I got you. No problem. Thank you. Man, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your holiday if we don't talk before um, or after. Um, and look, I really appreciate you coming again. And it's the Poet Life Podcast. If you could say anything to the poets and the artists, what would you say? Uh, keep creating, man. Keep making good trouble. Oh, that's good. John Lewis. I love it. Look, everybody have a good night. It's the Poet Life Podcast. There it is. Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Find a way.